can never get this right but i think okay now we have started recording um ladies and gentlemen welcome in to another episode of late night bitcoin this is a very special episode of late night bitcoin as we are recording late night for my guest very early not very early but early in the morning for me this will be released later so we are recording before the FOMC meeting today, so we will not be discussing the rate hikes, unfortunately. However, we've got a lot of other stuff to talk about. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Late Night Bitcoin. If you're joining us on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe down below. If you're listening to us on any podcasting platform, please, please, please leave a review, share with your friends so we can have these conversations shared with as many plebs as possible. But now, I'm excited to introduce my guest for today, one of who's becoming very quickly one of my favorite Bitcoin writers in this space, who has a newsletter that if you are not subscribed to, you absolutely need to subscribe to because it's pure, pure signal, no noise, and you enjoy reading it. I'm talking none other than Arson from T the newsletter TLDR. Arson, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Thanks for the intro, Q. And uh Let's talk Bitcoin. Let's get into it. Uh, I will ask you the million, or I guess I should change it from million dollar to hundred million Satoshi question, which is, when was the first time you ever heard about Bitcoin and what was your initial reaction? I hate this question. I don't <laughs> actually remember. I have no memory. Uh, I think it would have been 2017 when I was a student. I think Bitcoin was at 4K, but I'm not sure. That's just what I remember. And I don't remember thinking much except that I, I missed the train. And, you know, I have a, I'm a bit of a degenerate gambler myself. So I do, you know, I'm always on the lookout for, you know, opportunities to make quick money, even though no such thing exists as quick money. And, uh, but I, I do remember thinking that I'm late uh, to Bitcoin. And um, if somebody would have told me what I, what I know now that Bitcoin is tiny compared to the, you know, some of the other assets class, I would have jumped in already in 2017. But uh, unfortunately, I didn't. Uh, and then I just rediscovered Bitcoin a few years later. See. I get why you hate that question because I think a lot of Bitcoiners, they're like, ah, I heard about it and I should have done something with it. But the reason why I actually love this question is so many non-Bitcoiners and no-coiners especially look at us convicted Bitcoiners and they're like, I, I don't, I'm not like you. I, I'm never going to think about Bitcoin in that way. But what I want to try to show is we were exactly like you. We were as skeptical as you are today at one point in our past, but over time, over added exposure, added research, doing the work and learning about this technology and then whatever value we had where this technology intersected with it, we eventually became the Bitcoiners that we are today. But don't, don't you just hate the fact that you think back and you're like, oh, I should have like I heard about Bitcoin in 2013 and I literally it was like the age-old story of I wanted to send weed to myself in college friend told me about Silk Road and this is how stupid I was in college I was like so turned off by the idea of oh, I gotta go buy this 
what is this Bitcoin thing? Like, can't I just put my debit card in and just buy some weed online? Like, I didn't, I didn't understand what that would have entailed. So my naivety, my youthful ignorance cost me probably millions of dollars, but I digress. You get the price. You get Bitcoin at the price you deserve. Um, yeah. Was it? Was it? Did you say 2013? Yeah. That's pretty early. Are we? That are we it was Silk Road days. Are you a whale? Bitcoin no, no, whale? no, no, no. I, I didn't. Not. Like that. That's my. I heard about Bitcoin, but mm-hmm. like, I was like trying to send weed to myself in college, and then. It was literally, oh, I got to go buy this thing called Bitcoin. No, I don't want to do that. And I like literally found someone who would let me Venmo him to send me weed. Like that, that's how dumb I was. So no, I, I did not start buying Bitcoin until around the same time as you actually. In like 2019 was the first time I ever bought a Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, we all, we all have to start somewhere. And we do start as clueless newbies. But I would, I would add a caveat there that because you are a bitcoiner now there's there's something in you there's like an in- inherent curiosity so i wouldn't say that we're just you know that it's you know some people need more exposure than others but i think people who do go down the rabbit hole they are i would say truth seekers you know and they think from first principles and they're just you know they're just genuinely curious people um and yeah I, uh, did you buy did you buy did you manage to buy some with bitcoin or did you end up using venmo no i i used venmo like i i've lo- i've thought about it too and there are two like knowing the way my mind worked then and just like reflecting on it what i would have done is i would have bought more bitcoin than i would have needed but because there, like in 2013, there wasn't like a ledger wallet or there wasn't moon wallet or cold cards and stuff like that. Like the holding your own Bitcoin was actually even harder than trying to go and buy Bitcoin. So knowing me and knowing how technologically challenged I am, I probably would have lost all of it. And that would have been even more painful, I think, to like, I'm sitting on 10 Bitcoin somewhere in this computer and I don't know where it is. Like that to me is more painful than, oh yeah, I heard about Bitcoin, but I did nothing about it in 2013. My brother's dumber though. My brother, I think around the same time, 2012, 2013, some kid in his robotics team owed him $20 and the kid offered instead of giving him $20 cash, I'll give you $100 worth of Bitcoin. And he said no. So my family has told him he needed to move to the other side of the country. He can only come visit us once a month or once a year. And like, other than that, we, we just absolutely roast him for it. <laughs> so your brother is having fun staying poor now. Very, but, very um, much so. But I don't blame you for not understanding. It's such a, like, to, to even grasp the basics of Bitcoin, you have to unlearn so much. You know, it's such a foreign concept that you, you know, you actually hold your money and you're responsible for it. You know, it feels like the the the, the modern financial system and just everything else around us sort of, you know, it's like there's always a babysitter where, you know, you're you're not fully responsible for your actions, but there's always like a, a some kind of 
backdoor that will save you and just that was a huge like lesson for me because i've lost some bitcoin because i was careless with it and uh, but it's just part of the part of the journey you have to learn that you know that's how bear assets work and if somebody can help you out with it you know it's ultimately it's not really your asset yeah um i want let's let's dive into some of these stories and and Full disclosure, again, for those who are not aware, Arson is the author, the creator of this newsletter, TLDR. All the topics we're going to discuss, he has actually brought up and shared on his newsletter. So if any of these topics intrigue you, I urge you, go and sign up, register, join the TLDR newsletter team. Arson, how can people, we'll remind them again towards the end, but how can people join the newsletter? So just go to tldrbtc.com and you'll land on a landing page and just put your email and you'll receive an email from me next Tuesday, uh, next Sunday. So it's once a once a week. I try to keep it short, short and sweet, add some humor in there. I try to cut through the fluff and just cover the most important stuff. And if you didn't get the Earl, you can just visit my Twitter page and it's going to be it's going to be there in my links. Let, let's dive in now. And the first one I want to start with is the media narratives. Um, this this story is a little older, but I think we don't. It's older in the sense that the specific story you shared was the New York Times article, and then Riot and specifically Pierre Rochard's hilarious, absolutely hilarious dunk on the New York Times article. But unfortunately, these these attacks aren't new. This isn't the first hit piece on Bitcoin by any stretch of the imagination, and it would be naive to say this will be the last. Like you have Elizabeth Warren creating her anti-crypto army, rah rah rah, whatever that's supposed to be. Um, so let's let me ask you this: of all of the dumb, and I say dumb in the meanest way possible, but of all the dumb mainstream media takes on Bitcoin. Which one is the one that just pisses you off? There's so many. <laughs> I have to choose one. I would you say that the dumbest, the dumbest one is probably, and this is not something I've written about, but it's the divisibility of Bitcoin, you know, that it's not scarce because you're divided. And this is just, you have to be a special kind of stupid to not comprehend uh, you know how you know how it works but um also of course like uh, the likes of new york times like to write how polluting bitcoin is and they still rely on extremely old um uh, you know research paper that cambridge research um and it's just you know it, 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 yeah at this point i'm not i assume that they're just you know there's malice and they're not just not they're not even trying to look for the truth you know just even in the new york times the 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 picture that they used for the article they used like a really misty picture that would make it seem that it's like the air is really dirty whereas like you know they could have totally avoided that but they are definitely trying to you know draw a narrative around bitcoin that suits them 
and the only question right now to ask is you know who's funding them who like where are they getting the money who well, wants to paint bitcoin in this light my, my favorite line from that section of, of your newsletter when you bring it up because because you're absolutely right you point out that hey like this isn't what this actual image looks like this image is it's photoshopped it's doctored it's made to look like they're polluting more which is why pierre richard like took to the actual freaking bitcoin mining center to measure the co2 to show hey this is literally fake news like this is the definition of they have created a fake story and you you pose such an excellent question of like what who is backing this who is funding you because that's where your incentive lies. Whoever is funding this is, is specifically asking for these type of stories. But my favorite line from this section was actually, you know, the New York Times, the ones that told you that the computer wouldn't be a thing and all of the other technologies that they had written about as, oh, this, is, this isn't going to be important or a thing. And at a certain point, you have to kind of be like, okay, like we have historically doubted new technologies as they arise and this idea that yeah but this time is different this time we know better i think that is more naive than at oh yeah bitcoin is going to be has the potential i'll, I'll leave it at that it has the potential to be the global reserve currency yeah it's like you know we 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 went down the rabbit hole because we are curious people and we're trying to find out the truth. And uh, at this point, the journalists are not, you know, they're not interested one bit in the truth. And it's a good question who's funding them. I don't know. There's probably multiple parties, but also they also know the, pop, the, the general sentiment around Bitcoin. And they know that if they bash Bitcoin, they will get clicks. And they know that mainstream media is a, is a dying business model, you know, with the rise of Substack, podcasting, independent media, they know they're dying and they're just holding on to the last piece. And um, I just have my popcorn ready. I'm, I'm watching them die. And it's funny listening to them screech and do, you know, they can't do anything about it. And, you know, a simple beam from Pierre just totally ratioed them. Um, they, they know they're losing. And uh, yeah, they're losing. So I guess my final question on this topic is, you know, while you and I can see through this lie, while people who are willing to think critically, who are willing to, hey, let me like, is this real or what's going on? Like, and they ask those types of questions, they may see through the bullshit, excuse my language, but the average person doesn't. The average person sees, hey, the New York Times said this. What is, as Bitcoiners, like what is our job or duty in combating this type of FUD? Yeah, well, I mean, we have to make memes. We have to ridicule them just like Pierre did. And uh, we just have to point out how ridiculous they are. You know, and it's just it's a constant struggle. You know, there's there's some great uh, work written about this topic, but it's it's just a never ending battle. You know, I don't think you can solve misinformation. You know, like Twitter is trying to do it with the community notes, which is sometimes, you know, results in pretty hilarious outcomes. 
but um, I think it's just something you have to fight. Um, people will always say dumb shit. And you just have to be there, ready to counter it. And that's why, you know, for example, Relay, like our number one focus is educating people in a, in a balanced way about Bitcoin, environmental impact, and uh, all these things. And um, I think it's just, uh, there's no one solution. We just have to keep educating people. Um, we're motivated uh, because we know, I mean, at least we believe that the truth is on our side. And uh, we just got to keep grinding and educating people. I think there's no silver bullet to, you know, misinformation. I don't think we should ban free speech. That's not that's not what I'm saying. I think it's just it's just it's like um, it will keep going forever. You know the war between narratives. No, absolutely. And I think candidly, if any Bitcoiner sits there and is like, "Oh, we have to," people who tell lies like they shouldn't be able to, they shouldn't be given platforms. Like, no, that is. That's the antithesis of freedom, in my opinion, and and this idea yeah. that oh they have an idea, whether it's a lie or an honest idea that we disagree with, there should be a space for these different opinions to be shared and discussed, because if there is that space, there is the opportunity, to your point, to educate these people and help them see through the lies. I'm gonna shamelessly plug Robert Kennedy Jr., who yesterday. In a, in a tweet he sent out discussing Bitcoin, one of his supporters discussed how, yeah, but Bitcoin's so bad for the environment. Like, you're, I'm, like you lost the plot. And then he, his response was genuinely, that's actually a misconception. And I will address it very soon. So having these type of potential leaders of a country like the United States is so important because then his narrative what I really want to see, selfishly, I want Elizabeth Warren to run for president. And I want Robert Kennedy Jr. to be invited to the debate. And I want the topic of Bitcoin to be discussed on the debate stage so that Robert Kennedy Jr. can put to bed all of the lies that Elizabeth Warren has been saying about Bitcoin specifically. Fine, go ban other cryptos. Probably not the right narrative to push as a Bitcoiner. And I know that that's wrong because whatever they do against crypto, they will do against us. But RFK gets it. And I would love on a national stage for him to put Elizabeth Warren in her place. Yeah, I think we're a bit uh, early. I think, I think, um, yeah, but also I want to say something about um, the wider media space. I think it's important that, you know, because this mainstream media organizations, they know they're dying. So that's why they're being clickbaity. I think it's good that if in the future we can see more independent media outlets that throw out ideas and narratives on the, you know, the, what do you call it? Battlefield of ideas. And so then we can see which one makes the most sense. And I think, yeah, it's, it's it's hard to trust media nowadays and once once you are once you go down in a rabbit hole and you become the expert quote unquote and you see the 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 quality of reporting on the you know on the topic where you actually know something about 
then you start asking yourself, what, what else are they wrong about? You know, if they report on pharma, it's like, it's probably equally shitty reporting. Because if you, you, you know, you, you start questioning every narrative that comes out of mainstream media. And uh, yes, I would also love to see Warren get destroyed by a Bitcoiner on the national stage. I would pay money to uh, see that. Oh man, we're, you and me, we're going to fly out to that debate and we're going to get front row seats. Um, the, there's something really, really important in what you just said. And it's this, it's the fact that there are, in my opinion, there, there's a good contingent of Bitcoiners who will, Hey, like, Oh, this person is lying about this, or they're, they're saying something wrong about that. But then the second they say something they agree with, and the example I'm going to use isn't a media example. It's Ted Cruz. I love picking on politicians because I hate all of our politicians here in here in America. But Ted Cruz is actually a moron. And when Bitcoiners go, yeah, but like, you know, he's pro-Bitcoin, so I trust him. I literally am like, really? So he's, he just says one thing that you agree with, and then it's I'll, I'll forget all the other stupid things he's ever done or said. Like it, it's a little bit backwards in my mind and it, it goes back to the point you're making. Like yeah. if they've lied about this stuff, you have to start questioning all of the other things that they've lied to you about. And even the things that you agree with, you have to, you have to question it. You have to don't trust validate. Like it, it is as famous as saying in the Bitcoin community as hodl on. That's true, but at the end of the day, Bitcoiners are also humans and we're fallible. There's such a thing as confirmation bias. Even if it's like, like if, if, if Elizabeth Warren started suddenly shilling Bitcoin, there would be people simping over her, you know, Bitcoiners, people you and me both know from Bitcoin Twitter, they will be all over her because she is supporting their narrative and also indirectly pump, pump, pumping their bags so uh you know it's really hard to navigate all this bullshit there's so many ideas and um yeah man uh, it's tricky and uh with uh, yeah the simping over politicians i also don't get it because you know ted cruz he's trying to appeal to bitcoiners that's he wants to make it part of his platform just like elizabeth warren is trying to make the anti-crypto army thing her platform that's that's what she's chosen and she's trying to get elected um and yeah ted cruz he he knows exactly what he's doing uh best politicians are the best marketers yeah he's fishing i mean for votes. All, all i was thinking when you were talking about all of the bitcoiners he'll simp over elizabeth warren the second she starts saying pro bitcoin stuff i'm like well yeah because Half of them are just virgins online. <laughs> yes, uh, and also, uh, and also, also, if uh, if it pumps their bags, you know, they'll do everything. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, we we don't need to get into the pumping of the bags. I want to. I'm going to shift our order a little bit, and I want to actually because we're talking because I just I can't stop talking about politics. Uh, I want to talk about the money printing first, and then we can go over to the bricks stuff. Um, you brought up, and I, I want to pull up this quote because, my goodness, I cannot believe they said the quiet part out loud. But 
you brought up how I'm going to butcher his name. So any of our British listeners and followers, I apologize, but who pill from the bank of England revealed their new official stance on record saying that Britons just need to accept that you are getting poorer, i.e. have fun staying poor. Uh, to once again, just steal, steal the words that you wrote. He literally said the quiet part out loud. Um, he, look. he told, he told people to, that they should have fun staying poor. We thought that was a Bitcoiner line, but apparently central banks are also using it. I think it's pronounced, his name is pronounced Hugh. Could be Hugh. wrong though. But yeah, he definitely said the quiet part out loud. And it's, it's really ironic considering that, you know, it's people like him that, you know, are in charge of monetary policy. And it's like, it's it's just, it's so dense, you know, saying things like that when you're yourself so disconnected from reality, you know, living in your, well, he doesn't have a mansion, but it's like, I don't remember how much his house cost. 1.5 million pounds, which is yeah a very significant house. Yeah, so he's definitely not the average, you know, Britain, um, and also he gets like a 150k salary, so it's just 180k. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah 180k. It's just so. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was fake news at first because it's like no way, you know, a representative of a central bank can actually say that out loud, even though they, you know, that's what that's what they probably think but no it was actually real and um this is just this is like this is exactly why we need bitcoin so these bureaucrats you know nobody elected you to be in charge of their monetary policy uh you didn't get you didn't you don't get a say in how much money gets printed and uh, what's the interest rate you don't get say in anything but it directly affects you and even more than Hugh, because most of us, we, we save in cash. You know, not everybody's a Hugh. Not everybody has a, you know, half a million house somewhere. So that's why it's just really, he, they're just so out of touch. But at this point, they're not afraid to, you know, they're openly, you know, ridiculing people. Well, what's... Honestly, frustrating for me is this actually isn't the first politician who is unelected in charge of monetary policy who has made a similar comment. And I'm spacing on her name now, but it's the Fed chair from San Francisco who about six months ago, actually more than that, made an identical comment where she said that, yeah, but my family's not dealing with inflation. Because you get a nice salary and you have like these advantages that the everyday citizen who is going to the grocery store and paying six, seven, eight dollars for a dozen eggs all of a sudden, they're feeling that. But to your point, these politicians are so disconnected because they have these bloated salaries that you and I are funding. Like all of these people in public service. Taxpayer money. Exactly. Exactly. So th- to have the audacity to say, yeah, but it's it's not a problem for me, so it shouldn't be a problem for you. Um, let me be perfectly clear. 
meet me inside an octagon and I'll beat some fucking sense into you. Uh, um, it's it's laughable to say the least. And one of the things, and and this is just American ignorance more than anything, but I appreciated the fact that in this segment you also wrote, by the way, one in every four pounds in existence have been printed in just the last three years. And then the question that you pose very simply, but that's not, that's not why we're dealing with inflation, right? And in America, since 2007, it's like 80% of our dollars in circulation have been printed since the 2007 financial crisis. So this transitory inflation promise that was given to us that has now turned into sticky inflation, it's laughable. And this is where this is where it frustrates me the most because to, to bring up that point of these are unelected politicians who have made wrong decisions or gotten things incorrect and there's no accountability. And like um, I, I'm I think ranting, it's a future. So stop. Yeah, no, uh, no problem. Uh, I think, I mean, that's just the, that's a feature, not a bug. That's like, that's how it works, you know, the fiat system, you know. I'm sure you're aware with, the, you know, the cantillionaire effect. I guess I should say cantillionaire in French. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. But, yeah, that's just, you know, these people who are in charge, they, they have assets that appreciate with inflation. And uh, but that's not the case for your average Joe. And I, I remember um, there's just an anecdote, you know, in, in Finland where I grew up, like they asked an average politician how much a, a carton of milk costs. And no, they were all way off. None of them knew like they were like way off. And it's just, you know, it's but I, I think that's just a feature of democracy. Probably maybe it's an unpopular opinion. But most politicians are really disconnected from, you know, your average Joe. And um, yeah, and, you know, I think inflation, the sticky inflation that you mentioned, that's also just inherent to the to the fiat monetary system, you know, and then they try to blame inflation on Russia. You know, it's the, the price of eggs is going up because of Putin, obviously. Or greedy corporations, but yeah, yeah. Well, you're gonna you're gonna get cancelled if you say war. It's a special operation. Uh, but yeah, they blame everybody except themselves. But if you just look at the you know the amount of money printing, and I say money printing, of course they don't literally print money. I'm talking about the expansion of M2 money supply. Like 25% of it was in the US was created. Um, so actually 33% was created in the last three years. And this is, these are all the stimmy checks that, you know, you guys got. And obviously I'm sure you bought Bitcoin with them, but uh, this is what's causing inflation. I bought a lot of Bitcoin with my stimmy checks, but I will, we don't get, will, we, get we don't get stimmy checks here. No, but you I'm get sold. free healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, it's not really free. It's subsidized. True. True. True, but I digress. I want to. I want to focus more on this, the incessant, as you put it so eloquently, the expansion of the M two money supply, because it, 
it reminds me of like a little kid who will like push a push a glass vase off of a table and it breaks and shatters and like why did that happen? Well, who did that? Like I don't know. I didn't break it. Like it must have been the wind, right? Well, the yeah. floor was too hard. Um, yeah. And look, we're we're two plebs talking. This is not by any means some political experts dissecting how to solve the global monetary crisis by any stretch of the imagination. But entertain me for a moment here. And for whatever reason, you and I have the opportunity to right these wrongs. Like how how would you go about or what would you like to see done to try and correct some of these mistakes that have happened? Well, first of all, I wouldn't want to be in the situation that, you know, I would have this power to do it. I don't think anybody in the first place should have the power to, I mean, to have so much power over monetary policy. And I'm saying monetary policy, but essentially it's people's lives, you know, because saving money is essentially what makes us human. If humans couldn't save money, we wouldn't have all the nice things that we have here. If we just spent everything in the moment, like, you know, Venezuelans and Argentinians do, we wouldn't have anything. If our time preference would be zero, we just spend it, everything. So like, the first thing is that I think nobody should have the power in the first place to play God in a complex system that is economy. There's so many moving variables, so many first, third, second world effects that you cannot, you know, um, foresee. And um, I think nobody should be in this power. But do you mean that I would be in, in like sitting in the center? Whatever bank decision you I make gets gets installed. It depends. Uh, I could do. I could make the world burn. You know, I could hike up interest rates and see the fiat world crumble, and then you know we get to, to see our Bitcoin backs pump. But I wouldn't want to do that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, at, at this point, it's it's one of those things that you cannot stop the money printing. The show must go on. You know, if you contract the economy, which is what Fed and some other central banks have been attempting to do, it sucks liquidity from the system. And then there's all these banks that we've seen go bust. They're, you know, it's all a very incestuous system. And at this point, I wouldn't stop the money printing because it would just crash the whole system. It's, it's, you know, they don't have an option. There is no way out. If you stop the money printing, the house of cards collapses. And, uh, you know, that's what some Bitcoiners want, but also that would destroy so many lives. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we sometimes look at numbers where, you know, but we forget that these are human lives we're talking about. And uh, with, things, with things getting more expensive, you can directly correlate it to something like the number of suicides that happen. And um, that's what central bankers, you know, they play gods and they forget the human aspect. But this is not something there. I don't believe central bankers are evil. It's just 
the nature of the game. You know, you have to play by the rules and the rules, basically the game is rigged from the get go. So I wouldn't change anything because that's just how the system is designed. I would, I would do what I do now, which is keep building an alternative system on the side. So then we can transition more peacefully. So I think that that segues perfectly to us discussing an alternative system that is literally being built as we speak. And I'm talking about the BRICS box. I'm talking about what I, I'm calling it the Bancor. Shout out anyone who's read the mandibles. Um, Arsene, do you mind just walk, walk us through what's happening with the BRICS nations for a second? So... As you know, the US dollar is the global reserve currency. And if you want to do any kind of oil trade, for example, you have to denominate it in USD, but also other kind of trades because, you know, dollar is still very trusted. So nations use it for trade. And basically people are start starting to realize that dollar, you know, you can be cut off from the dollar, which is what happened to Russia. So Russia had lots of US dollars at, at the central banks in, in the West and the US. And um, basically they got cut off after they invaded Ukraine. And uh, then other nations started looking at this and realizing that actually, you know, if US doesn't like us, and there's, you know, there's a few countries that US doesn't like, you just, you know, uh, you know, and if you end up on this blacklist, like Russia, Iran, a um, few other countries, you can be immediately cut off and your dollars will be seized. So that's why, like, BRICS is basically, it's, it's the five, it's the acronym for five largest emerging economies, which is, Help me out here. Russia, um, Brazil, China, uh, South Africa, and also something else. India, India. And they are trying to, well, it's not like, um, it's kind of like a loosely defined economic alliance. It's like G7. You know, there's no concrete rules on, you know, what they do together in terms of economic activity, but it's like a counterbalance to G7, which is the Western uh, equivalent. And uh, actually, uh, there's about 20 countries who want to join BRICS because they want to diversify from the dollar because they're realizing, they're realizing that uh, the dollar is weakening. And by joining BRICS, it keeps weakening. So it's kind of like a game theory situation. You know, countries are joining BRICS and BRICS is also developing. I mean, this is not confirmed, but apparently they're developing BRICBucks, as you mentioned. Um, so it's essentially legacy cutbucks versus BRICBucks. And uh, I think this is a good development because, I mean, just like with decentralization of media, there should be many small media organizations. I think having BRICS as a counterbalance to USD and the USD hegemony, it's it it puts some pressure on USD to sort of rethink their position 
and because um, basically when uh, when us prints money they offload these inflations to every other nation that trades either operates directly in usd like something like el salvador or also trades in um in usd but that's but the inflation is not the main cause why people are flocking to bricks uh, why nations are flocking to bricks it's basically they're afraid to get cancelled you know you say one wrong thing and uh, you know the dollars get seized and um and it's significant because the bricks they're they're none of them by themselves are bigger than us except for maybe china in terms of you know economic activity but together they make up third of the world gdp which is more already more than g7 so it's definitely uh, a serious um contendent and um i think that's like a bigger that's a big that's part of a bigger trend of de-dollarization you know people are realizing that dollar is actually a shit coin and i mean because it's inherently you know it's an ex frankly it's an experiment it's a monetary experiment pure fiat money and um, that's why the BRICS kind of has a uh, you know that's why nations are starting to look at alternative systems unfortunately not yet bitcoin but you know something outside the usd but of course brick bucks will have the same constraints as usd you know it's centralized and you have to trust the issuers and you can also be cut off from that system it's that last point for me that while this may be a solution for the countries involved with the BRICS, Bancor, BRICS Bucks, whatever they're going to end up calling it, it inevitably will have the same potential to fail as the dollar simply because you've, you've taken one centralized entity and just replaced it with another. And sure, the argument is, well, there's, there's multiple countries involved in this. Um, you know, I, I think this is far more dangerous for the U.S. and the dollar than at least the U.S. media wants us to believe. We hear this rhetoric a lot right now of, I think the, the latest story around the dollar here stateside has been, oh, we're going to run out of dollars in June. And Janet Yellen is going around saying that you're having a lot of different uh, me mainstream media publications running with this story as well. But you're not hearing this conversation around, oh, there is a legitimate challenge to the U.S. dollar on global trade. And sure, in America, everyone uses the dollar. You're not using anything else. May you might find a couple of vendors who will accept Bitcoin, but at its core, you're using the dollar here. But outside, like in Europe, you're not using the dollar, you're using the euro. You go to the Middle East, and for mo most Middle Eastern countries have their version of a real. You go to South America, and most countries in South America have their version of the peso. So outside of the US, there are two main functions for the dollar, settle international trade, which we've discussed, and then buying our treasury bonds. But what scares me, quite frankly, as a US citizen who has far more far too much wealth in dollars or dollar denominated goods at least we are watching 
the one use case of using the dollar for, to settle international trade, that is diminishing in real time, slowly and steadily, and then all of a sudden it will happen like that. You alluded to in the article how, hey, Saudi Arabia has requested to join BRICS, and they're not the only country. BRICS is not just the five countries we listed. There are a handful of others, but to make the acronym nice, they just left it at, at those five letters. If you have, which Saudi Arabia has already agreed with China to settle trade in the yuan, I saw yesterday or a couple of days ago, China has settled more trade now in the yuan than in the dollar for the first time ever since, you know, international trade was becoming as prominent as, as it has become. Like you are deteriorating one aspect of it and it will happen. Whether people want to believe it or not, but eventually the day will come where we are so underwater, we as in the United States are so underwater in our debt that either we will default, which I don't think will happen on our treasuries and our debts, or what is more likely, they will just print agnosium to settle their debts. But at that point, everyone who's held dollar debts is sitting there going, all right, well, this is worthless, so I need to put this money in something else. So watching this diminish in real time, as an American, it concerns me. I'm curious, as, as someone who's not an American, who doesn't necessarily deal with the dollar on a regular basis, like, what does it excite you? Does it concern you? Where Where is your emotional sort of gauge on this? Well, I'm not concerned because I'm all in Bitcoin. So, <laughs> so that, that, that's one thing. But but definitely, if you're, I mean, you mentioned that Yellen doesn't go around speaking about this issue. I can assure you, sure as hell, they're talking about it behind closed doors. And as you Absolutely. said, the, the, the biggest use cases for dollar is the treasuries, you know, they're monetizing their debt and then global trade. But they're interconnected, you know. If, you, if US dollars loses you know, the status as the, you know, the currency for global trade, you know, treasuries also become less um, enticing to foreign nations. And I think everything the U.S. has reached, you know, you guys are the richest nation in the world, is because of this dollar hegemony. And um, of course, it has some negatives too, like you you lose some industries, industries disappear, from the US and they get exported to China. But like, if you lose this status, if you don't reinvent yourself, there's gonna be a decline, you know, decline in the standard of living. That's why it's, it's, it is worrying, even though we are still pretty far away from that kind of scenario, in my opinion, USD is still the biggest Chad of all the currencies and it's not going anywhere quite yet. But it's definitely we're st starting to see the first signs of de-dollarization, and 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 me personally, um, yeah, as I said, I'm all in Bitcoin, and uh, as a European, I know Euro is even a bigger shitcoin than US dollar. We don't even have the the status of global reserve currency, and I mean the whole U European Union is just kind of like um, it, it's not really working out for most of the for most of the that, that's nations. 
That's the most politically correct way to say that. You can curse on this show. I, I said it so it's not safe for children. It's a, it's a shit show, to be honest. But um, it's still early. That's why we should not fearmonger too much. But it's definitely something to keep an eye out. And it's, it's good to have a counterbalance to US. I mean, speaking from a global point of view, if you have a US-centric view, yeah, you probably, you probably want the US to, you know, to remain a dominant player in the geopolitical um, you know, scene. But I think the bigger theme here is that, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have any of these problems that the centralized currencies have. And it's just, you know, TikTok next block. It's there. It's always there when you need it. Even if it is volatile and the merchants don't really accept it, it's always going to be there once you get, you know, you know, if you once you get cancelled by the U.S. or if the BRICS nations don't like you because you're friendly with the U.S., you you can always go back to U.S. dollar. Sorry, the, the you can always go back to Bitcoin. Right. I mean, I definitely like. I, unfortunately, in the United States, at least where I how I live my day to day life, most of my life requires me to to transact in dollars. Um, I look forward to the day where, where that changes outright. Um, I do think though that the significance of this, it is very early and we we probably don't feel the effects of it for for maybe a decade or two. And it will take some time. And I've long believed that while Bitcoin is inevitable, there are going to be, there may just be one step or there may be multiple steps until we get to that inevitable cycle where right now what is happening is the BRICS, the countries involved with this BRICS bucks think that they can outsmart the US. They think that they know better. And the inevitable truth that you, myself, and every Bitcoiner knows is that no nobody knows best in fact you're all corrupt and if you were given the chance you will tilt the scale in your favor and bitcoin is the only option that prevents that from happening so i guess my question is does this does something like the BRICS nations going off to create this joint currency does this help or hinder global Bitcoin adoption, in your opinion? Yeah, honestly, I don't know. But but I think in the existing situation, it's good to have alternatives. And um, I think ultimately, it does, it does help. Because the, uh, essentially, the BRICS pack would not be any different from the USD. You know, it still have the inbuilt features, aka inflation and the censorship, and uh, people are slowly waking up. And the trust in these traditional currencies and institutions is slowly eroding. Even though normal people, you know, at Thanksgiving table, don't really talk about it. But it's it's in the air, you know, the banks are collapsing, your you know, your money is worthless. 
ultimately people people know that there's something wrong with fiat money even if they can't put you know they can't really describe it in words and uh, i think time is on our side and i think bitcoiners just need to be patient and uh, be humble and just keep stacking sats have you read the mandibles i've heard about it maybe thousand times but i haven't read it yet you must you must because this scenario that is literally transpiring is like straight from this book and what blows my mind about it is the us's response right now is the exact response that they give in the book which is more or less to ignore it to act as though it's it's nothing when in fact like this will be the detriment and this will be I genuinely this will be what breaks the back of the US dollar. And you alluded to something very important that we, we haven't even discussed this, which is the fact that the BRICS nation's GDP for the first time ever has surpassed the GDP of the G7 nations. Why is this significant? In my opinion, it's because you have more of the global production coming from these countries than you do from the countries that have historically been producing so much for the world. And let's be very blunt and clear about this. The reason the G7 countries have been afforded their ability to just wave their big dicks around and dictate to everyone else, you need to do this, you need to do that, and this is how we do things, is because they contributed so much to the world. Now, it, it's only like slightly above. I think in your article, you were like, it's they have 31% of global GDP and the G7 is 30. So it's not like, oh, it's a, a wide margin. It is, it is close. However, as this margin starts to spread, the weight of the G7 countries and what they want to do and say will diminish and other nations will will have no choice but to listen to the asks, wants, and needs of these BRICS countries. Um, I don't know if you have any additional thoughts on that. I need to mute myself so my dog stops barking in the background. Yeah, well, I, you know, Balaji, he talks about ascending and descending nations. And I think that's definitely what the BRICS nations are. You cannot call them third world countries. You know, these countries are hungry and they will, you know, they're coming for the US dollar. They are, you know, the G7 have enjoyed this long term dominance and seniorage that they've grown complacent. And I think, and I, I don't think that it's like the BRICS that will kind of end the dollar hegemony. I think the dollar will do it just, I think the dollar will destroy itself just fine by itself, just by continuing to exist. And uh, yeah, I mean, so, something like India, like this is going to be a global superpower. I don't know about China because, um, you know, of the, you know, how authoritarian it is there. And, um, but like something like China, something like India, like these guys are smart and hungry and educated. And uh, 
yeah, I, I, I don't claim to know what's going to happen. If I mean, I would prefer that there is no superpower that, you know, has so much control like the US now. I would prefer to have, you know, more smaller nations that then hopefully can somehow incorporate Bitcoin into their nation state, nation state strategy. I don't know how that looks. I don't know if it's naive of me to think that nations can use Bitcoin right now, definitely as a you know way to circumvent uh, sanctions, for example. But like when Bitcoin is, is big, I don't know how I don't know. I, I don't know how you can combine the concept of state, or at least a big state, plus Bitcoin, because Bitcoin directly undermines the power of big state. And I, I know I went on a tangent there. So sorry, just came. Don't say sorry. Don't say. I was beautiful. I loved it. It, it. it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes of, like. All the government is is just a corporation and their income is just the tax dollars they collect off of us. But to your point, they can really only do that because they also issue the currency that they are then collecting. If they are no longer issuing the currency, it becomes very difficult for them to have the powers that they have and they have to think and operate in a vastly different way. And I think a lot of this though stems from you know, the fiat system that's really entrenched itself over the last hundred plus years. This wasn't really the case when you had gold-backed currencies. Um, I'm going to try to see. Yep, I did it. All right. In the Bitcoin standard, SAFE talks about how World War One was... What's that? Oh, yeah. The Bible. Yeah, the Bible. The Bitcoin Bible right here. Um, he talks about how in World War One, all the countries essentially, they were operating on a gold standard, but they decided to pause the gold standard so they could, you know, keep the war going. And then they all agreed, you know, when it's done, we'll re revert back. But unfortunately for them, what they didn't realize is they had bid off way too much and they were not able to revert back, which unfortunately led to hyperinflation in germany due to a lot of the fines that they installed on the country none of the country's economies were really recovering well there's a reason why the great depression happens after world war one and then all of a sudden it leads to world war ii where this started to turn into one of the first almost forever wars because it was just incessant money printing fast forward 80 years and you're we're fighting wars over decades now, and it's it's almost blasphemous because of this idea that they can just these the government corporation that exists is able to do as they see fit because they can just endlessly print and endlessly fund these sick and disgusting endeavors on the basis of this is this is right for us freedom blah blah blah. I went on a tangent now, so I'm going to stop talking. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that the corp governments are corporations and the future, they're, they're going to be more like startups, like more lean, <laughs> you know, not have that big budgets. Uh, I, I mean, really hope they'll also have, have young un Unlimited employees. budgets. I'm hoping yeah, your startup young, young, analogy. Yeah, I hope it works out. 
but I, like what, what you said about the US going off the gold standard, I don't even think that they were thinking that, okay, we can do this and then we get back on gold standard. And I think they just had to do it in the moment because it was convenient. And I mean, I mean, it's a great tool. If you are in power, printing your money is a superpower, essentially. Like, of course, you're going to do it. And we're not better than these people. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure I'd be corrupted if, if I was a central banker. Because, you know, fiat money corrupts you because you have the because you can. If you can, you're going to do it. But the beauty with Bitcoin is that you can't. You cannot be corrupted because you cannot influence. You're just a one node, the sea of nodes. You cannot influence the monetary system. And it's and I think that's just the feature of, uh, you know, how the political structure and democracy is, is structured is that politicians and presidents have short term thinking. They don't really think about what's the economy going to look like in 20 years. They just want to get through this four years, you know, the election cycle. They just want to get through this war. They just want to get through the next years. And um, it's just the short term thinking because they're not going to be they know that they know that they know that they're not going to be in the office for 20 years uh, unless they're putin <laughs> i don't know if uh, being in office 20 years is any better but that's just like something that's in here inherent to the political and monetary system that we currently have i mean to your point like i i talk about it a lot at least from those just have to wait and see what becomes of it. No, absolutely. Um, to to really hammer one of the details that you said too, and, and I discussed this a lot. You know, American politicians in particular, they're more accustomed to let me do the bare minimum, let me not rock the boat, so I can continue to be reelected. Because fun fact, you can spend your entire life in Congress like Nancy Pelosi has, like. Um, Diane Feinstein has for the state of California. Like you don't, there's no term limit for these Congress people, so they're able to make policies forever. The only, the only political position with term limits is a is the president of the United States, and it baffles me because the president doesn't really have that much influence, sway, or power. It's his cabinet that makes a lot of these decisions, and then Congress and the Supreme Court that sort of upholds these decisions, but those two branches can stay in power as long as they see fit. And most of them, like I saw a picture of Nancy Pelosi when her career first started. Do you know who the president of the United States was when she first started her political career? I'm trying to calculate now. Was it Jimmy Carter? You got to go back more, man. I, I don't know all the presidents. JFK. JFK. Oh shit, she's old. She's she's age old. <laughs> must, must, must be Woo! all that money she's making. Dude, I mean, look, there's a reason why these politicians they got the plug. They've got the plug, to say the least. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna move us though, unless there's anything else you wanted to talk about on the bricks. Um, I wanted to skip one of the topics and we're just going to go straight to nation state adoption, if that's cool. Yep, let's do it. 
Um, so Samson Mao, previous guest on this podcast, friend of the show, uh, in case you don't know, in case you live under a rock, Samson Mao and Jan 3, what do they do? Their job is to help nation states understand and properly implement and adopt Bitcoin into their day-to-day lives. Instrumental in helping El Salvador really grow its Bitcoin presence. And he has been meeting with countless politicians from numerous countries to help other countries see, understand, and really incorporate what El Salvador has done for their own countries. Most recently, and I'm going to butcher her name, so I'm going to I'm going to hand it off to you for the Mexican senator that he was pictured with, and the caption of it was was simply probably nothing. It's like Adriana Campos, I think. Is that right? Uh, the connection is a bit choppy, so I might have missed something. But yeah, uh, her Can name is Indira Kempis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was the question? I, I think it was a bit choppy, the connection. No, it's, essentially what I wanted to discuss is... is I, I guess actually the only question was, can you just say her name? Because I didn't, I couldn't remember it off the top of my head. I'm probably butchering it too. No, you're good. You're good. Um, the real question of this is, you know, and, and I'll be perfectly blunt. We, we were maybe as Bitcoiners hoping to see other countries follow El Salvador's footsteps. And we're coming up on two years since the announcement at Bitcoin 2021. And the countries that have adopted and I say adopted very loosely. Um, like I've never heard of these countries, and I don't. I don't believe most citizens have. And so, a country like Mexico, though, having very serious conversations around Bitcoin with one of their wealthiest individuals in Ricardo Salinas, being a full-blown Bitcoiner, this would, in my opinion, be a way bigger domino to fall if Mexico in some, it does not need to go balls to the walls and buy Bitcoin in their treasury and make it, make it a currency. It doesn't need to do all that. It just needs to take one move in my opinion, at least I would love to hear from you if, what what would be the step Mexico could take that would be most exciting to you? Well, yeah, as you said, adopting Bitcoin kind of can mean a lot of things. So it can be either putting on the you know on the treasury, it could be using it as legal tender. It would, could be something like issuing some kind of Bitcoin bond, like what El Salvador did with their volcanoes, or it could be mean that. Uh, using it in global trade, I think what would be the most exciting to me, the thing is Mexico could do this, it could do the same thing as El Salvador and just make it legal tender. But I think we've seen how that goes. People are skeptical and the shit takes a long time for people to start using this new weird money. And I just don't, I just don't like forcing people to use money that they don't like. You know, that's just kind of goes against, you know, my my personal values. Um, 
and I, I think it wouldn't be effective, you know, trying to force people to use Bitcoin in their daily lives. I think this should come organically. To me, what would be most exciting would be definitely putting Bitcoin on the treasury and then also maybe issuing some kind of bonds so that the, the countries can somehow fund themselves uh, with Bitcoin appreciation. But also just having on on having having it on treasury is just a, such a strong signal to other countries. You know, it's it's it doesn't it doesn't disrupt anything in the country. It's like a low risk bet, but it's such a strong signal to other smaller developing or should I say um, ascending countries that you know this is an option. You don't have to hold U.S. dollars. You don't have to you know, import US inflation, there, there's a, there's going and it has, you know, you know, obviously it has its problems, you know, it's volatile, but having it on treasury would be like the low hanging fruit, in my opinion. Especially. Even though it doesn't sound sexy, it doesn't, it doesn't sound sexy, you know, legal tender, it's, it's nothing like that, but, but that will be sort of the smart thing to do, in my opinion. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying we're timing the market or anything, but doing it before the halving is probably a good idea. Just saying, just priced in, just yep, the, oh, 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 I don't know. I may have to have you come back so we have that discussion. Yeah, um, I don't know if I have a strong opinion about that. Fair, fair. Um, I mean, look, if Mexico were to turn around tomorrow and say they're gonna make bitcoin legal tender like i'm moving to mexico tomorrow like it, it's not even a hesitation in my mind i already know what city in mexico i'm gonna live in i'm not gonna tell any of you fuckers you'll never be able to find me again it's over i win leave me the fuck alone um but i think to your point like just put put a little bit on your treasury and that is the simplest, easiest way. And it, it's that old saying too that we talk about. It's like, just buy a little bit, get a little skin in the game and then you you learn a little bit more and then you recognize. And I, I say this because I am an Iranian citizen and I am Iranian, but Iran has actually taken a lot of steps to use and implement Bitcoin in ways that we may not be recognizing because they just don't. They don't care to publicize it, but they very quietly have been starting to settle international trade some with some trade partners in a cryptocurrency. And then my old co-host and I, we, we kind of did the calculations. We're like, there's no other cryptocurrency that has enough liquidity for them to have completed that, that level of a trade that they said they completed with crypto. So it has to be Bitcoin. And to your point, it just takes it takes one thing and this is why like that saying of bitcoin fixes everything and you can laugh and mock it or you can realize there's a reason why a country like iran looks at bitcoin as a way for them to settle international trade because they're left out of the us dollar system there's a reason why a country like el salvador without their own currency is looking at bitcoin like let's make this legal tender let's make this our currency these are two completely separate use cases of the same technology. And so as more countries are sort of pushed with their back against the wall, there are so many use cases for Bitcoin and the opportunity is there 
it just, in my opinion, takes people like us, people like Samson Mao, to help them see and recognize, hey, this is a problem you're dealing with, and this is how Bitcoin actually can help you solve that problem. Uh, I'd love to hear, this This ended up being a, a far more serious conversation, so I feel like I do need to ask like a, a lighthearted, fun question. So where, what country or region would you like to see adopt Bitcoin next? Which country I would like to see adopt Bitcoin? I don't know if I have a preference, but I think it's going to be one of those, you know, smaller kind of rogue states that kind of have nothing to lose from, you know, you know, that are not too connected to the US, but sort of that have use cases for it. I can't really say which country It's probably going to be a small country, but um I think it's going to take time, honestly, man. It's like with, with us, you know, the learning curve is so steep. And just like you and me, we had our own journey. Nation states, they also need to have their own journey. And that's why, why the work Samson is doing is important. You know, you can't go balls in into Bitcoin. You, you need to start small, have small exposure, start doing a few trades here and there. It's going to take... A long time and i think countries are already uh, there's there's some countries who already like you said iran doing it on in secret and just recently i think i saw an article where the nation of bhutan which is a small um country in uh, southeast asia that they apparently they've been mining bitcoin for a while already and this is not something they want to publicize because you know it, it doesn't really it's not like a pr play like el salvador but it's more of like a, you know we have a need for bitcoin and that's why we're mining it. And um, same with Russia, you know, they, they are looking into, you know, Russia is looking into Bitcoin mining to circumvent sanctions. Uh, Mexico is looking into Bitcoin to, well, I don't know the specific reasons why, but the, most of the population is unbanked. So it would make total sense for them to start dabbling with Bitcoin and offer more economic uh, opportunities to their citizens. But to answer your question, I don't know which country and uh, frankly I, I don't care uh, it's it's just one of those things that's just going to happen but i think it's going to be a small nation like you know some insignificant nation like it's a small island in the middle of nowhere i i could see that i mean that's exactly what we got last year and i think we will continue i think a, a domino like russia iran or mexico falling would would make such a big wave that it couldn't be ignored, but I think we're a little bit away from a a big move by a big country like that. And that's why I think something like this BRICS box that we talked about earlier, that is probably the next logical step for some of these countries before the inevitable step of Bitcoin. Um, Arsene, this has been honestly a very deep, serious conversation, and I need to make it lighthearted because this is, after all, a late night show. Um, Let's do it. Have you ever shitcoined? This is a safe space. I've admit to everyone what my shitcoin de choice was back in the day. What do you think? I I think you've never shitcoined, quite frankly. 
I think I you're was pure. Biggest, I was I was the biggest shit coiner ever oh! in like in 2017, 18. I yeah, I was I believed everything Vitalik said. I because I couldn't understand what he was saying. So uh, <laughs> so I had to I had to get burned properly. And um, that was part of my journey. I'm not hiding it. Uh, I was a big IOTA shill. You know, like there's the XRP army, the nano, nano marines, those <laughs> IOTA something, squad brigade or something. I, yeah, I was part of them. But it didn't last long. I realized that, you know, I've learned that if you cannot explain something simply, you probably, it doesn't make sense. You don't even understand it yourself. And Bitcoiners just had this clarity in their speech. You know, I remember listening to Saifedina Moose in 2018, and he just explained things where it just made sense. It clicked like you from first principles. It just made sense, you know, and um, Bitcoiners are very paranoid, which also resonated with me. Um, you know, they think about the whole risk model um, so yeah, to answer your question, I was a shitcoiner, but I've reborn. I'm pure now. I I, I don't have any shitcoins, um, except for maybe you know real estate. That might be the only shitcoin I'm about to acquire because I'm buying a house. No, nothing wrong with having a place to live. Yeah, it's it's acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes I laugh at this idea of like, hey, you shouldn't buy anything other than Bitcoin. It's like, yeah, but I, we need water, we need food. So like, cool. I, I'm Man. really proud of the few Bitcoiners who figured out how to just like not eat, drink, don't need shelter. Like, good for you, man. You figured it out. <laughs> yeah. I want my electricity. I, li I like my rooms uh, bright. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, Bitcoin is, you know, it's it's not a it's it's a means to an end. It's not an end, you know. Nobody is collecting money for the sake of it. Some people do, but that's a sickness, you know. <laughs> you don't want to do that. But we just want. Eventually, we want our money to give us either physical stuff, or even better, more time. So it's like. I know we had this phase in Bitcoin where, you know, it was never selling, just stacking sats, but I'm happy to see a circular economy, uh, you know, become a thing again, because it, it used to be a thing in the early days of Bitcoin. And then we kind of became, all became hodlers, never spending, which also makes sense because, you know, Bitcoin is going through a monetization phase. So it might not make sense to buy the newest iPhone credit later but also it's if you spend and replace i think it's fine so it's, i'm glad to see circular economy uh, reappear again and it's especially like uh, during conferences like uh, bitcoin conference in miami it's like there's like there's so many transactions happening and it's this this is what makes me bullish um i don't remember oh, no. your original question <laughs> no we're just at this point we're just ranting and rambling but what i'm really looking forward about the conference which if you have not yet bought your tickets to Bitcoin Miami, use promo code QQQ, get 10% off. And I will know if you've done, you've used my promo code, I will bring you a joint and we can smoke a joint together. Um, but the thing I'm looking forward to most is not actually the, the fact that people are going to transact in Bitcoin. It's the fact that Bitcoin has very consistently during these conferences 
dumped in price during the conference and shortly after the conference. So looking forward to those cheap sats. Do you think it's because, uh, I mean, the Bitcoin market is pretty liquid, so I don't think so, but do you think it has something to do with people spending so much Bitcoin and these merchants pretty much selling this Bitcoin, you know, market selling and then dumping the price? Maybe. I, I think, honestly, it's a little bit of just like all of the people who would be buying Bitcoin so regularly and often are all just at an event at the same time. No, they're, they're not stacking. <laughs> they're not stacking. So to your point, like, yeah, these, these vendors who may, like some of them may just collect Bitcoin and then immediately dump it for fiat because they just need to, they need the fiat to operate their business. Because again, a reminder, as much as we want everything to everyone and every business to accept Bitcoin, we are there's somewhere in the supply chain where that doesn't exist. So I think it's a little naive to demand that oh you must always hold your Bitcoin and only spend Bitcoin. It's like, yeah, but unfortunately my vendor doesn't accept Bitcoin. So I do need to liquidate and I do need the fiat, at least in that transaction. But I digress. Arson, I've stolen so much of your time. You have been so gracious in gifting it. I think you might be frozen. Um but I want I to remind you. Okay. That's frozen. Uh-huh. You're back. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, here. I, I just want to remind everyone to go on tldrbtc.com and go ahead and join this newsletter listserv because you are just going to get pure signal once a week. Fun, easy to read. His meme game is on point. If you love this conversation, you're going to love the newsletter. Arson, I will turn it over to you for the final word. Thank you for the shill. Uh, in the newsletter, I'm probably more retarded than uh, than during this call. I try to be professional for Q so he doesn't get canceled. But yeah, if you like degenerate jokes, fart jokes, poop jokes, but also a few memes, but also try to plant some seeds of knowledge, you know, it's not just, you know, kind of like plant them in the content so people actually learn something if you're interested yeah come say hi and let me know what you think of the content i can i'm always looking to improve it ladies and gentlemen this has been another episode of late night bitcoin i'm so grateful that you all have tuned in listened to me all over the world i recently saw how many countries people are actually downloading and listening to this podcast so thank you everyone for listening be sure to leave us a rating leave us a review Tell us how much I suck. Tell me what I can do better. We will be back very soon with another episode. Thank you very much.